and welcome to Sustain, the podcast where we talk about sustaining open source in the long haul. Who are we? Where did we come from? Where are we going? No, really, where did we come from? I've never actually been able to answer that question before so adequately as I will on this call, which you will learn about in a couple of seconds. Before we introduce our wonderful guest, I want to introduce the other panelist. So today we have Eric Berry. Hey, everybody. I'm very happy to be here. Justin Dorfman. Hey, everyone. And Alyssa Wright. Hi, all. And Richard Litauer. Hello, everyone, again. And we have two guests today, Tyler Marin and Anna Pajawis. They're both calling in today from Avon, Connecticut, which is my hometown, which is bizarre. That's never happened before. But they normally live in San Francisco, where they're the founders of a company called Resolve. Anna and Tyler, how are you two doing today? I'm doing, doing great. very well, Richard. Thanks for having us. Awesome. It's just, it's just so weird you're from Avon. Sorry, it's just, I'm trying to get over it. Okay, so tell me a bit about Resolve. What is it? How does it work? How did you found it? All right, so yeah, high-level overview. Resolve is a issue bounty platform for open source development. So the main idea being, you know, you raise an issue on an open source repo and you're trying to get it resolved more quickly. So what you can do is instead of just, you know, complaining about it more on the issue, you can put 50 bucks on it and other people can chip in. It's crowdfunded. And then whoever submits a successful pull request actually earns that bounty. So it's a way of, you know, trying to get some more money behind some of these like issues and feature requests in open source development. I love that. So issue bounties are really interesting. They've been around for a while now, probably four or five years, I'm, I'm going to guess, maybe a bit longer. Can you tell me how you first came up with the idea of making a company out of it? So I guess how we came up with the idea, in all honesty, we were at a conference and I was zoning out and reading the back of a guy's shirt and it had a URL. I don't remember what the first part was, but it was something.io. And I was just, you know, going through different words and I was like, bugs.io would be a, a good company name. And so I turned to Tyler and I was like, you know, maybe, you know, we can kind of build off of this name. And we started looking more into open source and realized that there's a need to help maintainers of projects solve issues and to bring new developers onto the issues. So, yeah, we, we literally did actually kind of work backwards from a, an imagined name. That's how we got into it. And yeah, at the beginning, we had no idea that there were other issue bounty platforms out there. So, but we kept, you know, we kept on building with it. And I guess our idea is really trying to improve on the concept and really try and make it stick. I love that you guys are focusing on that. I think that more players in that field is excellent. It's going to drive more innovation and creativity and hopefully more adoption. However, Speaking as someone who has worked in the bounty industry in a similar product to this, when you started it, you say you didn't know of any other ones around. So what was your motivation behind this? And I'd like to know, like, why didn't you find other ones before you started? I'm very curious about that. Well, we did look for other ones before we started on it. Uh, and it actually, I mean, it wasn't even until a little ways into, I mean, just through like Google searching and trying to all variations of Git you know, paid to solve code. And we saw plenty of the, you know, reporting a bug bounty type sites like HackerOne. 
But yeah, did not quite see any other sites like this until honestly, the first one we saw was Gitcoin when someone had recommended that to me. And I did really like the Gitcoin platform. It seems like they've been very successful, but you know, it's pretty exclusive to the crypto market. And yeah, I wanted to, I guess, kind of explore like, yeah, why is it, you know, it works so well in like the crypto market and, you know, does that work just as well in the fiat market? Can you take us through how long your company's been about, what type of adoption you've seen, how much money is currently residing in escrow in this program? I'd love to hear more about from when you began to where you're at now and possibly the challenges that you face, because I understand building a product like this, especially with the adoption, is extremely difficult. So how are you going about generating more users? How are you going about advertising, marketing your product? I guess I'm throwing a whole bunch of questions at you, but I'm very curious to know what the answers are. So from idea to now, it's probably been just about 12 months since you know, we kind of started on it and then you know, put out an alpha sometime at the end of summer and then you know, kind of working into the beta category, which is why I'd still classify the app as, as we're kind of like polishing off features, making it work better. So it's been a you know, pretty short term that it's actually been out there in the market. We got a little bit of uh, good traction just in the last you know, few weeks, honestly, because we got front page Hacker News, front page Product Hunt, and we got a, a whole bunch of users, which has been really awesome and really exciting. But I think that what we really need to do now, as far as making the product like functional, is really maintain a marketplace. So that's what we're providing is we have a place for developers who want to solve bugs and get paid for it. And then we've got people who want to, you know, contribute financially. So our like financial backers, and we've got to make sure that that number stays in balance. So what we found so far is that there's lots of people who are willing to fix an issue for 50 bucks. You know, there are a lot of people who are out there. Hey, yeah, I'll definitely do this for the bounty. There are fewer people who are willing to give away the money, surprisingly. So that's what our, our real focus is right now, as far as like marketing goes, is, you know, trying to reach out to companies who are using like open source software saying like, Hey, you know, this is in your tech stack. If you want to try and expedite some bug fixes, you want to get back to the platform. Here's a way of doing so. Could you share a little bit about anything you've learned around the types of people that respond to bug bounties, the people on your platform? Yeah, we've got some interesting people on the platform, actually. And that is, I guess, part of the open source world. And it's definitely generated like plenty of edge cases, you know, including the people who want to solve the issue, but decline the bounty because they're just doing it because, you know, they thought the issue was challenging or people you know, who want to solve the issue, donate the bounty somewhere else. So there's still like a lot of people who are you know, behaving in the traditional altruistic open source way. But I think that, you know, it's, I think they get a little bit more enjoyment out of, oh, you know, this is, there's a bounty on this thing. It's like something that someone has deemed to be a little bit more challenging. That's how it worked its way up on the site. So we have uh, a few people like that. And then we've got other people who are kind of solving issues for the first time. I think that's really exciting as well. I had someone reach out who is a student who had you know just solved an issue for a $25 bounty. And I think that it was less about getting the $25, more about, oh, here's like a little bit more incentive for me to do my first pull request. One of the great things about bounties, um, especially low bounties like that, you know, not the $2,000 whatever, or the kind of crypto slash security bounties where if you find a hack in my thing, I'll give you 50,000. 
because that helps me. One of the great things about low bounties is that it incentivizes learning. So people who may not know a platform get paid to, to mess around with it until they can figure out how to fix it, which is super great. One of the questions I have is, how do you incentivize those people to stick around? How do you make sure that the money doesn't just go into someone's hands who is like, cool, I fixed that bug. Okay, moving on to the next project. That seems like it would bleed out the project over time. So what are you doing to make sure that the incentive is actually longer than just fixing the bounty? So I think that we are able to get developers to stick around because it does take time to set up the environment, to take a look at the code base, understand it, and also build a relationship with the maintainer. Once they do submit a pull request, there are conversations back and forth to have it be in a good enough state to be merged into the, the actual repository. So with the relationship that the developer builds with the maintainer, as well as just diving into the code base, it does take a little bit more time. So that kind of will prevent just these flyby users and have more reoccurring users. And I think that by way of comparison, I know there's a lot of a lot of complaints about the Hacktoberfest type events, you know, where people just any commit that gets merged in will do. And I'm actually a big fan of that event. But you know, you you saw just like thousands of typo PRs coming in. And that's, you know, a lot of just like low quality commits that someone has to sift through. But usually I think that by time like a bug makes it onto the platform. It's you know not just like a single typo type fix if it's going to have a dollar amount associated with it. So it does require a little bit more involvement. Like you're at least you know setting up the dev environment and getting it running so that you can test things out. That makes sense. I wonder, have you looked into the research on that? Because you said you're only 12 months or so old. So I'm curious how this is going to play out over the next year or two. I know that's a really tough question, but I'm curious. I mean, we're going to have to see. And we might end up having that problem where a lot of people come in, you know, try and snipe a bounty and then never touch that repo again. I mean, that's something that we want to avoid. I know that's classically been a problem in open source development. You know, someone pushes up a fix and then is gone. One of the questions is just to rephrase. Yes, that is a classic problem. And it's really, it's good that you know that. So going in and it's great that you're trying to approach and figure out how to make that work. Are you doing anything interesting to look at how to onboard users collectively involving bounties in ways that make sure that they stick around? So make sure that setting up your dev environment is also part of the bounty and that you have more people doing that and more people working on the bounty than just the one person who comes in, has it set up and, and is out. Does that make sense? I mean, that definitely makes sense. And that is something that I've had some thoughts about, like how to kind of keep those repeat uh, contributors. And I you know, don't have any, anything really built out for it yet. First thought I had was some form of repeat contribution incentive. So, you know, if you solve a bounty on the same repo multiple times, you get some sort of extra bonus. What are your expectations for the first year? The reason I found you was, I believe it was Show HN or it was just on Hacker News. All that's great, but a week later, all that traffic goes away and then you have to kind of start from scratch. What do you expect to do in the first year, like 2021 at the end? What would make you feel good? 
So I think that the main thing I want to get to right now, because you're right, you know, a lot of people, we got a lot of traffic, a lot of users on the site, and a lot of them haven't come back since they first signed up. And I, you know, I think a lot of that's because, you know, we don't have as much of the like recurring dollars in to the site right now. So I think the main thing I would want to get is just have the bug bounty portion of the site become sort of self-sustaining. So have it automated enough, have like enough attention out there for it that, you know, there is a, you know, that marketplace remains balanced. There's like consistently enough issues coming in that, you know, we can send out like email reminders to people saying, Hey, you know, here's a new Python issue for you to solve. Or, you know, here's like an issue on a repo that you work on, things like that to like maintain those repeat users. It don't have exactly a dollar amount goal that I'd like to set for the year, but I think just, you know, that sustainable, like the, the bounties to replenish themselves, users stay on the site would be the main goal. Love it. To give you a little background with the team here that you're talking to, Justin Dorfman and I both used to be working with Gitcoin. So he and I both have a, a pretty big background in these projects. And we've also had multiple companies on this podcast talking about bounty platforms. And so I think I would like to learn more about the two of you and more about what makes it different and what your motivations are. Because I think a lot of the success of a company, look at Gitcoin. Gitcoin is hugely successful because of the passion of Kevin Iwaki. I mean, without him, it probably wouldn't have existed. And then add one more follow-up and I'll back off here. But the other question I have is that the reason that bounty programs typically are, are using cryptocurrencies because of cross-border financial transactions. Having run CodeFund for four years, we had to pay people all over the world and it was a nightmare doing so. Are you focusing pretty much now on anybody who is in the US that can pay? Are you prepared for those 1099s that you're going to have to do for all the US citizens? I mean, there's so much technically that is complicated to get money out of the United States. How are you going to approach that? So the first thing I'd like to do is just tell me a little bit about what qualifies you specifically to do this. And then maybe you can help me understand the second part on how you're going to solve that financial problem. All right. What qualifies us specifically to do it? That's got to be the hardest question for me. So I guess for starters, I'm passionate about the community. I'm really interested in like just open source development in general. And I like that idea of having a place where people can get better introduced to it and having something that can help support the people who maintain software projects. I mean, I think, I don't know, you probably have seen it. There's you know, the XKCD comic where it's got you know, the big stack where it's you know, all modern digital infrastructure and it's balancing on the domino that's you know, some package someone in Nebraska has been maintaining since 2003. And you know, it's like the ability that we have to go out there and build anything is because we have such a like, massive digital foundation that's provided to us totally for free. So like in the general, I'm, you know, I'm passionate about like kind of, you know, maintaining that and getting people to really understand it you know, and respect it and give back to it in any way they can and try and get people more involved who might not have been contributing to open source development to begin with. So I think that, you know, I like to carry that level of passion into what we're building and, you know, try to really build out the platform more. And as far as like what would make it successful, I think that we need to build out something like 
I think more than just the bug bounties as well. And that's something that we've also been like really exploring. I mean, that's the one thing I note about Gitcoin is Gitcoin seems like it has 20 different product lines. That's because you keep on like branching out. And I think that like the bug bounties themselves inherently aren't a super profitable thing for a company to to do. I mean, it's going to be more work to maintain it than probably it's worth. So I do want to find a way that, you know, we can, you know, build out some additional platforms that are like more repeat, more maintainable would allow us to go full-time with the development and running of this. And, you know, hopefully in that situation, we're also allowing other people to go full-time with their passions. I'm also very passionate about open source. I mean, it is the backbone of the internet and so many companies use open source to build their products. So definitely want to give back to the open source community. And then in regards to where, you know, we see this product going, as Tyler kind of stated, we are trying to think of different ways to make the platform profitable so that we can have the bounty program. The bounties just yet will not be earning a lot of money. So we do want to kind of branch out similar to Gitcoin, you know, have a different product line that maybe can supplement the bounties. Yeah, I'd like to understand what an open source community looks like for these projects that are working with bounties. Do the people ever be not paid contributors to the work? So I've thought about several times before, you know, how functional an open source project could be if it were, you know, very heavily using some sort of bounty type program. And especially some of them that are like commercial open source projects. You know, that's one of the things I'd really like to build out as well is there are a lot of open source softwares out there that actually do have a commercial side of things. And, you know, they have some level of like income and some level of business structure behind them. So I would really like to see a you know community like that that can you know really fund a bunch of issues, do that to try and help drive more people into contributing towards its platform. And I think that this is a a good reward structure as well for those type of things. I know there are like you know a lot of the open collective type programs and you know, Patreon models where people are just donating straight to a platform. But you know, I do want to have some aspect of reward to people who commit to the platform. I think it's a complicated space between people who are getting incentivized by financial reward and, and supposedly like what community means. But I am interested to understand how money is playing within the sustainability of these open source communities and is the work about sustaining communities or sustaining projects and you know general thoughts ar- around that. Yeah, that's kind of the a big question that I've had before is you know how does the money play really come into these areas especially when you know a lot of it is a volunteer type community there's a little bit of, you know that like volunteer giving back ethos going on and does adding a bounty add like a good financial or a good incentive in general towards more development. And yes, I mean, that's a good question that I think, you know, we're going to see different people reacting in different ways to. But as far as, you know, supporting, you know, broader open source community versus supporting like project by project, 
I'd say that, you know, the site in its, in its state right now is primarily going to be project focused. It's very specific to the project, but I do want to continue to make this more about a, you know, long-term community building effort, not just so much as, you know, okay, you come in, you solve one bounty and you're out. So I want to build upon the platform so that it can be like more long-term, more sustaining and have some community building aspect about it. So, you know, that's like trying to get more people into the open source world. And as far as adding financial incentives, I think that, you know, the open source work should not have to be volunteer work. I think that people should get like financial contributions for the amount of work that they put into sustaining the modern internet. Couldn't agree with you more on that one. That's fundamental to open source sustainability in general is making sure people get paid for their work. Otherwise, this is all just volunteer work that eventually ends. Not everyone can volunteer forever. It's really great to have hobby open source stuff, but it's also part of our livelihoods, especially as coders. You know, we need to get paid for our work, not to be incredibly Marxist about it, but, you know, capital needs to go towards the people doing the labor. So one of the questions I have that sort of ties into how do you fund the communities and how do you fund the maintainers and the people who are, you know, posting the bounties as well? is are you working with companies to figure out how to get money shuffled into your program to build better bounties? How are you pitching this to people who may have the wallet steep enough to actually sustain long-term contributions or sustain people to have repeat issues? It's easy for me to have a project and donate $75 for a bug that like I don't know how to fix. It's really hard for me to do that repeatedly over time to make sure that people come back. So who are you talking to and how are you making that work? So the people we're going to be talking to are going to be primarily companies as far as, you know, these are going to be the financial backers because as great as it is for the crowdfunding model, and we've seen a lot of this happen where, you know, three or four people chip in $5 on an issue because, you know, any person can chip in like a little dollar amount, but that's not going to be the, you know, the repeat like, oh, you know, put $10,000 into this type program that people are going to need in order to have like sustainable bounties out there. And so for that reason, we're going to be primarily looking at, you know, the, the corporate world, trying to get people to, you know, give, you know, your platform is entirely based on these tools. I think it's important to give back to them. But this is where I think that as far as like ways of funding open source goes, that the bug bounties might be more successful. We've got, you know, what is, what's best for the company giving the money? And then you've got, you know, what's best for the maintainer. And the maintainers will probably, you know, usually tell you it's something like open collective. It's just going to be straight donation. You know, that's what helps people, you know, pay their bills. And that's what's going to be like you know, the most motivation for that person to continue to maintain their project. And it's kind of you know, unfortunate sounding, but I think that from the company side of things, they are, you know, you're stuck in this mentality of they want to actually pay for something, not so much just give money away. It's a lot easier to convince a company to put dollars in if they're getting something back for it. And in this situation, it's going to be, you know, what you're getting back is, you know, the bugs get fixed more quickly. You don't have to spend, you know, more of your time and money building workarounds into these libraries. As a result, I think that's going to give companies more financial incentive to give towards open source development than just making like a flat donation. 
So when we started Code Fund, I think probably one of the greatest moments of my life was paying out that first payment, getting money into the hands of developers. It was one of those things that that kind of solidified the why of what we were doing and it felt good and it was what I wanted to keep doing. Have you guys had that opportunity yet? And what's it been like for you? So one of the issues that recently got resolved, an individual put $200 on it. It was a relatively stale bug. I think it was around for three, four, five months. And then within a couple of days, it got solved once that bounty was placed on it. So we have definitely in the recent days have seen this model work. That's awesome that it's working, but how did it make you feel? What did you feel when you went through that process of like, oh, it works, it's alive, it's great. It was definitely a great feeling. It's one thing to just think that it will work, but another thing to to actually see it work. So there's two of you and you've been answering questions slightly differently. What's the breakdown in the company? How, how does that work out? You, what do you each do? So I would say that I spend most of the time just like talking about what we're doing. And Anna actually does like 95% of the work and getting it done. Yeah, I'm more of the the coder, the person behind the screen. And then Tyler's definitely the one that goes in and markets the product. Why is Tyler leading on the leaderboard? You got to fix that, Anna. That's great. So is your platform open source? Yes, it is. Fantastic. What's the stack, Anna? What was your stack of choice? So for the back end, we're using GraphQL with Postgres. And then for the front end, we're using React. I'm looking at the GitHub repo. It's really fast. I've been on the site. I'm just loving how quick it is. It's like an app, but it's in the browser. It's crazy. That's great. It's, it is really fast. And I do love that. And it's in beta. So I'm guessing that anyone who's listening to this podcast can still go out and go test it. You're taking new applicants at the moment? Yeah, I guess actually, I think that in this situation, beta is just describing like how done we feel like the product is. I mean, this is, it's in production, it's running. It is, you know, we've had real success with it. Anybody can sign up. Anyone can contribute to a bounty, especially. We're just leaving that beta tag up there for right now. So that way, anytime someone reports a bug, we'll have a good excuse. If there are people out there right now, which I'm sure they are, they're thinking, man, I would love to take an hour and just make 50 bucks. How would they find projects that you're wanting to fund? How would they find these bounties? Aside from just going to the site and sorting by you know, the language of your choice or the repo that you're most interested in. The other thing that we've got built out and we're working on building like more of is some GitHub integration. So already, you know, whenever someone posts a bounty on it, it adds that comment at the bottom of the issue saying, you know, there's an outstanding bounty. Here's the total bounty. And one of the next things we're working on right now is a similar type banner that can go on like the readme of a page that'll just update with, you know, this is the like active number of bounties outstanding on this project. And I think that another one of the things, you know, based on what you mentioned of the developer who wants to spend Friday night and, you know, solve a bug, make 50 bucks, that was really one of the core motivations we had when we first started building it too, was thinking about it from the developer side. Because, I mean, I get bored. I would do that for sure. That would be, in my head, like a really fun thing to do is go out there and, you know, pick up a quick 25, 50 bucks on uh, fixing a bounty. I'm now 95% through. I just need to push to my local fork and then do Git PR, which should take around two seconds to add a license file to the repo. So that's the first PR to the thing. So it's really great. 
to see another bounty program <laughs> that is also open source that isn't just focused on cryptocurrencies, but focus on the rest of the code that actually underpins the world. No offense to the crypto people. I super love them. And Kevin is the man. I'm not going to say he's not the man. He's been on the show twice. He's pretty awesome. One of my like favorite questions to ask, which I don't get to ask very often, but I do get to ask here, are what are your hopes and dreams? What's going on? Where do you want this to go? Are you talking to funders? Are you interested in getting thousands and thousands of developers? Do you want to have a unicorn floating in a pool outside of your house? What's going on? <laughs> First of all, who doesn't want a unicorn floating outside in their pool? Serious. Yeah. So I'll just that's, one, that's my hope and dream. <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah. Step one. I need the pool first. Yeah. <laughs> Ditto. But for the platform, uh, like where do you hope it goes in the next six months? What's going on? Okay. Yeah. Like I mentioned before, I think the next six months goal that's going to be biggest is, you know, I want the bounties to be like sustainable. I want, you know, people coming in, funding bounties, people solving them, like that whole kind of side of the platform really trued out and working well. And at least paying server fees. That'd be the number one goal right there. But then, yeah, the, I mean, I do want a pool with a unicorn with diamonds on it. I mean, that would be awesome. So that's going to be us building out like some additional features into here. You know, we've got some ideas that we have been kind of tossing around and trying to sketch out to see, like, okay, what's the idea to really make this like sustainable and for us personally, like paying the bills for us and working well as a company. And yeah, the two ideas we've got right now are going down sort of like a jobs recruiting type avenue, which, you know, that one I think would be interesting because the pitch that we've got, you know, formulated for that one is we're going to represent you based on your Git history. You know, we're actually going to look through and say, hey, this person has been developing you know, instead of just, you know, solving a bunch of binary search tree problems. Why not take a look at this and see that this person's put up 500 pull requests into you know popular repos over the last three or four years. So that would be like one direction we were thinking about going down. And then another would be like broadening it beyond just issues. So having like a general, I guess, sort of freelance work platform built into it as well. Yeah, really, of course, still wrapped around like software development, but having something that's like a broader, you know, this is more than just an issue. This is, hey, I want to have a library built out, not just I want to have one bug fixed on a repo. And I think that, you know, with some of those type build outs, that would probably be you know, more profitable than just the, you know, bug bounties. And as far as, yeah, in investments, we've not really been seeking out investment in it right now. Uh, you know, the hope was that this should work out well enough that it's bootstrappable. But if we you know, come to the point where we say, oh, okay, you know, this, we have these great ideas that we want to build into the platform, but it's going to take more than two people part-time, then I think that we might go down that road and try and get some interest there. Best of luck. I really hope that works out. That sounds awesome. For those listeners who do want to get involved, it's Resolve, that's R-Y, as in Yankee, S-O-L-V, dot com. Why did you choose .com and not .io? Well, it's, I we mean, initially well, were going to go with bugs.io, but the domain was very expensive. So uh, turns out there are other companies wrapped around bugs, exterminators, and they mm. got to this market before <laughs> the software world did. That's funny. Yeah. All right. And then, yeah. The, yeah. Why did we go with the .com? I don't know. It was a short domain name, pronounceable. It was $8. 
So that was, Go that was that. the only wins that we needed. No. Okay. That makes sense. So resolve.com and the GitHub repo is resolve slash resolve. Is there anywhere else where people can follow along? Do you have a newsletter? Do you have personal Twitter accounts? Do you want to wrap anything else? Well, we've got a uh, resolve Twitter and it's just Twitter slash resolve probably, or probably at resolve. I don't know. I'm terrible at managing social media. So it'll probably get one tweet per month as I remember it's out there, but you know, feel free to follow for that. You know, one very special tweet per month. Open bounty for X dollars marketer for resolve, but I don't want to take away your job. Just saying that would be really cool. That would be great. Thank you so much for sharing about Resolve. Super cool. Before I let you go, I want to make sure we have time to give back to the maintainers and projects which have helped us get to where we are today. Of course, I'm talking about my favorite part of the show, the Boston-inspired Spotlight, where we could talk about really cool projects and really cool people. I totally got that (laughs) reference. Thank you. I've been trying to make it every time. Apparently, my accent's just really bad. Justin Dorfman, what's your Spotlight? My spotlight is Git yeah. History. It is an extension for VS Code by Don J. Amin. And it's great for release notes. I've been cranking out some release notes and just been going through that Git log. And you could just do it right in VS Code. And it's freaking awesome. So thank you, Jay. Love it. Thank you. Eric Berry? One of the things that I often find myself falling into is whenever I open a new tab, I see all these dev stories that I can read or I can store for later. And the tool is an open source tool called Daily Dev. If you go to daily.dev, it's a Chrome extension. It's an extension for all of all different browsers, but really it's a way to customize your own interests into a feed that's very light. It's not going to bother you unless you want it to bother you, but it's really nice because whenever you open a new tab, you can just get a tiny little bit more news, tiny little bit more information. And someone like me really thrives on that. Excellent. The ADHD person in us all. Alyssa, what is your spotlight? I would like to celebrate virtual FOSDEM that's happening this weekend, February 5th and 6th. And not only all of the tracks and speakers that will be there, but the informal gatherings that people are doing to kind of recreate like an in real life experience that we're not able to participate in this year. So I encourage people to attend talks, listen to talks, and I think be part of the conference and conference experience. Yeah. And many of those talks will be online afterwards. This podcast will live longer than Fosten. So if you are coming to this later, a few months later, you can still go back and actually Google what were the best Fosten talks and then go listen to those. Highly suggest it and look for a sustainable and sustained while you're there. Some people from the sustained community will be giving awesome talks at FOSDEM. I'm not one of them. I wish that was the case. My spotlight today is this tool on NPM just called License. I actually just use it. I use it all the time. If you need to put a license in your repo, you just type license and then the name of the license and it spits out the text for you. You can cat that into a file and then bam, you didn't have to look anything up. It's already there in your Git history, in your folder. It's the best tool ever. Confusingly named when you also use licensee and licensor, but license itself is still a very good tool. So thank you for that. I need to give a shout out to the person who made it. Thank you, Ovarius. I don't know how to pronounce your name, but you're an awesome person. Keep it up. Tyler, what is your spotlight? Okay. So 
The spotlight I have is not necessarily a library, but it's a foundation that I think is super cool. And that's called the Awesome Foundation. And I don't know if anyone's heard of it before, but what they do is it is a um, US-wide foundation and they have these individual charters where people get together and these trustees throw like $100 a month kind of into the general fund. And it gives away $1,000 to cool projects. And I mean, these don't like the cool thing about this is their one real rule is that the project has to be awesome and the other $1,000 has to make a difference. So it's not necessarily any financial incentives. Like these aren't supposed to be company ideas. Like this could just be anything in general. One I heard of recently was a gumball machine that dispensed tiny little synthesizers inside their gumballs and just really cool things like that. And I love that model. And yeah, it's something that I was hoping to kind of someday have something like that in Resolve, where we just have straight up sponsorships. Hey, this is a cool code project. Throw throw a thousand dollars at it. Love it. And Anna, besides 2005 era borders or the Tunxus walking trails, what is your spotlight today? My spotlight today is Discord. It is just a well-maintained library and it's great for building a strong community. Awesome. Use that every day. Thank you. I often don't think of those. I could totally use those. Okay. That's the next 10 spotlights done. Thank you both so much for coming on. It was really cool to hear about Resolve. I really hope that it continues to thrive and that you keep getting awesome contributors. We need more people in this space because there's just not enough out there right now. Ways to actually do micro grants to people who, who need them for their projects. I love the idea. I really hope it goes well. And yeah, all our listeners, go post some bounties and then solve some. Again, thanks. That's all. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, everyone.